When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. We are so excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, is a new sponsor to the show. 2020 was obviously very hard, but podcasting wasn't thanks to Zencaster. We had to keep recording our season, but now we had to do it remotely. I might say I'm confident in Photoshop all the time, but I am no audio engineer, and Zencaster has made our lives easier during a pretty stressful time. They provide a crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. And we love that it records separate audio and video tracks for our guests and us. Plus, it's super easy for guests to use. We just send them a link and we're ready to record. There's a secured cloud backup, so you never lose your recordings. Thank God. And did we mention it's super easy to use and there is nothing to download? Go to zen.ai slash oldmillennialspod and get 30% off your first three months with a pro account. That's Z-E-N dot A-I slash O-L-D-M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-S-P-O-D and get 30% off your first three months of a pro account. Bye. Bye. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Bupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. And before we get started on this very fun, sweet, lighthearted episode, I just want to say up at the top, abortion is a human right. In the show notes, I will have a link there if you are able to donate this uh, link will have your donation spread across 80 abortion funds. We don't really need to get into it. I just wanted to provide a resource and it would feel weird and bleak and dark to not mention what's happening. So let's get into some frivolous shit from the late 90s and mostly early 2000s because today's topic is TV heartthrobs. Because before there were internet boyfriends, there were tiger beat boyfriends. I remember distinctly covering my walls floor to ceiling with the help of my friend Cassandra with JTT and Writer Strong pictures ripped straight from the magazine. These certified studs that we are talking about today walked so that our Timmys and our Sean Mendezes and the very tall hunky man from Euphoria could run and have sizable Instagram followings. So, Emily, teen heartthrobs. I mean, I think we picked, you know, our top six, six, which we also have to acknowledge are overwhelmingly white because 
TV network TV was overwhelmingly white and still kind of is, but is slightly better if uh, that's that's for more um, tuned in network TV people to judge and not us. But yes, we're going to just say that up at the top. All of these dudes are white guys because that was on your TGIF block because, you know, ABC be doing those be doing that thing. Oh, man. So for me, this is like such an exciting episode, mainly because I've been trying to find an excuse to talk about Jonathan Taylor Thomas for like since this inception of the podcast. So well, even this is an exciting time. We started recording. We talked about how like the interest level of JTT is so high because yes. they had that random photo of like I told you some random man in Toluca. Like we don't yeah. know if it's JTT, but everybody freaked Vaping out because nobody with two dogs. <laughs> was he vaping with two dogs? I thought he was like yes. getting grocery. There was one where they're like it was the same dude getting groceries, and they're like, "It's definitely him." Like, it's definitely just another guy. <laughs> I don't think this is concrete. But like you said, he is the JD Salinger of uh, celebrity kids. Truly, the JD Salinger of celebrity kids. Yeah, the guy that even found- a LinkedIn. No, I tried everything. I have wow. this, even before research for this podcast, I have tried looking into this man multiple times. But really, the last solo time, time. <laughs> yeah, just solo. Like that's how dedicated I am. Um, but <laughs> no, there's just rise up <laughs> the, the Taylor High. Um, <laughs> he, this picture is just him with a Mets cap, which like, you I don't can't know say why it's he, him, Emily. We don't this know man, <laughs> this man who just kind of looks like a 40 something Val Kilmer is what, as, as I described it to you is wearing a Mets cap, a dark gray hoodie and, uh, some loose jeans. He's got two look like Bijan Frise dogs potentially and is vaping and just checking his phone. Um, <laughs> It could be JTT, but like, I don't know. I mean, this again, like you said, could I be any rando 40 year old dude in Toluca Lake? Like, really, nothing leads us to confirm or deny that it's him. But the last time this man has been seen like on anything <laughs> was was on the Tim Allen, that terrible Tim Allen show, Last Man Standing, which I think oh. was like seven or so years ago, where he he guest directed some episodes. He also appeared um, as both a guy on the show, but then also as his character from Home Improvement. Uh, I don't know. I didn't bother to watch this that show because I don't care for Tim Allen. That's putting it very politely. (laughs) But yeah, I totally forgot about that because people lost their minds then. And that's when it sort of became clear to me that he was kind of getting like the Richard Simmons treatment of just like, just because he's not on the internet doesn't mean that anything bad is happening or anything good. He's just sort of like living his life. And I find that to be people's reactions to when celebrities emerge or don't have social media sometimes is honestly more interesting than what the celebrity is actually doing. So true. So true. So how do we want to go about this? I know that we've structured it in TGIF, Dawson's Creek exclusively, and Welcome to the OC Bitch. So, I mean, I have, and I'm sure you have a story too. I have like a little anecdote for each of these hunks, and I would love to hear if you have one for each of them as well. 
I, of course, have one for JTT. Um, I have a- Your boy, JTT, coming in strong. So, I mean, this is the first, one of the first men I was, or like, I mean, boys, let's be honest. Right, no, I was like, who is like a man? (laughs) I found attractive, like as a child, like this is, it's insane. Um, I have a little, no anecdote for James Vanderbeek other than my, I'll go on a rant about college acapella groups for about a paragraph. And then um, Ben McKenzie, as you know, we talked about earlier. Uh, I just have one two-sentence personal anecdote. How about yeah, you? Your new, your new king, Ryan McKenzie. <laughs> well, you know, um, I have a an, I have an anecdote to kick off each of these dudes. Some longer than others, but uh, yeah, I have I have a little bit. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first with our TGIF hunk? I think I'll go first because Home Improvement started airing before Boy Meets World. Great. Thank you for doing that math. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's just get into it as we've already started talking about him. Uh, mm-hmm. JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who was actually born Jonathan Taylor Weiss, which was quite a shock. He was born on September 8th, 1981. He's a Virgo in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And he grew up in Sacramento and then later moved to L.A. and was, you know, kind of a run-of-the-mill child star doing commercials here and there. Began his TV career really in 1990, though, playing the role of Kevin Brady, the son of Greg Brady on The Brady's, which was a spinoff of The Brady Bunch. And then later appeared in a few episodes of In Living Color, which surprised me. Um, That is the closest, by the way, I think we will get to mentioning people of color on this episode, by the way. Um, (laughs) In 1991, he will also be cast as Randy Taylor, the middle child on ABC sitcom Home Improvement. The show was a ratings hit, launching Tim Allen from being a moderately successful comedian and former coke-dealing snitch who traded in names of other dealers to serve less time to a friendly Disney actor who had a string of live-action family film hits in the 1990s. Fun fact, while in development... Home Improvement was originally going to be titled Hammer Time since it was the early 1990s and MC Hammer was everywhere. Again, one of the few times we will be referencing a person of color on this episode. (laughs) JTT's first film credit would be the voice of young Simba in The Lion King in 1994. My personal anecdote here is that I loved The Lion King and Jonathan Taylor Thomas so much I memorized the entire movie. Um, My mom bought what she thought was a real copy of the VHS in downtown DC coming back from work one night, but was in fact a bootleg as you could hear people laughing and crying and applauding throughout the movie. So we had this bootleg version of The Lion King on VHS as kids, and we were very popular for a brief amount of time because we were the only people who had this Fancy. Everybody wants to have a slumber party at the Bijan house. (laughs) Um, That same year, 1994, he will co-star in Man of the House with Chevy Chase and Farrah Fawcett, which is a movie that would not get greenlit in 2022 because it is a story of a white boy uh, whose mom is now remarrying a guy played by Chevy Chase. And he decides because he hates his now stepdad so much They are going to join an Indian guides troop. And let me tell you, I believe every single member is white. Uh, So again, would not get made in 2022. Oh, I remember that. 
Yeah, remember that very well. <laughs> Lots of headdresses. Um, <laughs> I mean, even just right there front and center on the movie poster. And everyone was just like, yeah, that checks out. Cool, cool. But that movie, I also get really, con- I get mixed up with um, uh, the one where uh, Farrah Fawcett gets married on a cliff. Or is that this one? She gets married on a rooftop at the end. And the I song- thought they were on a cliff. No, they were like on a rooftop and like it's it's plays they play Return to Innocence by Enigma, yes. Yes. which is not a Native yes. American song. It is in fact <laughs> a Southeast Asian like recording um Emily. I believe of a man from Laos. Emily, stop pulling back the layers. It's just going to upset everyone. <laughs> I digress. I don't want to get into this nuance. What's the other? There's Jungle to Jungle. And then there's like another one that was like also of a similar premise with like equal amounts of cultural appropriation. So, so there's there's Man of the House, which is the first one Disney puts and out. And Jungle to Jungle. Sorry. And then See, Jungle get... to Jungle, which Thank was you. with Tim Allen. But then the, bro- this, the boy played in that was like, I think it's Sam Huntington, who's in a couple mm-hmm. of other things. But he was like uh, a JT. Knockoff, like because they For had sure. you know, the similar like floppy oh, hair studio you, vibes. You know they wanted to cast JTT, probably. Of course they did, and he was just like, "I'm a serious actor." Um, so he will then follow that in the '90s with a few really big credits. He'll be in Tom and Huck with Tom, where he plays Tom Sawyer alongside Brad Renfro, R.I.P., who plays Huck. The Adventures of Pinocchio, which was not a Disney movie, but he played Pinocchio and Martin Landau played Geppetto. I had that on VHS as well. Wild America, where he played uh, brothers with, based on the true story of like real life brothers, uh, with Devin Sawa and I believe Scott. Oh, yes. So he, yeah, Boya Yo Yo Yoing, like yeah. that was. <laughs> yeah, him and Brad was Renfro. Only fans. Yeah, I know. That was a lot. I know. It's very sad. Um, and then well, finally. No, uh, Kevin Sawa and JTT being in the same movie together. Like, oh, I was yeah. very oh, into that. Very and invested. We, He's an honorable mention. To, I, mean. I was going to say, we have to mention our boy, Devin Sawa, who we really wanted to shoehorn into this episode, but um, he just didn't, he wasn't on any TV shows the way he that these boys were. He wasn't a TV guy, um, but we love him very much. I enjoy following him on Twitter. He, you know, and like always stan look um, these are all of the dudes well with the exception of maybe james vanderbeek all of the men that we are talking about today are studs for all seasons okay like there's yeah. no and devon's all included oh well, look and like vanderbeek i mean we'll get into it there's okay we'll get into vanderbeek there's some later. shining lights but there's it's, some but shining there's a lights lot of darkness and yeah. you know it he kind of ends his career. So JTT kind of ends his career in 1998 with i'll be home for christmas oh, um and that's movie. like Yes. And and that's really, I mean, he's in several other things after that, but it's all really minor roles because in 1998, he will also leave Home Improvement to focus on academics. On the show, they wrote it off as Randy leaving for an environmental study program in Costa Rica. And the episode he left was titled Adios, which aired in <laughs> September 1998. His last appearance on Home Improvement would be the eighth season Christmas episode, Home for the Holidays, which aired in summer of 1998. Again, probably placement for the movie, I'll Be Home for Christmas. He did not return for the series finale and only appeared in archive footage. He would go on to attend Harvard, like Natalie Portman and many other child stars did around that time, where he studied philosophy and history. He spent his third year abroad at St. Andrews, which is around the time Prince William attended, I might add. And Hmm. in 2010, he graduated for the Columbia School, uh, Columbia University School of General Studies. Um, His minor appearances throughout like the 2000s would 
would include Ally McBeal, Smallville, Eight Simple Rules. He was on Veronica Mars. And then, of course, he would return to TV for uh, Last Man Standing in the 2010s. He was he played a guy named John Baker and then later went on to reprise his role as Randy from Home Improvement. He was on for four seasons and also guest directed a few episodes. He has pretty much since then kind of been out of the spotlight. Like I mentioned earlier, there have been quote unquote sightings, but like nothing, nothing like convincing He's enough to be like, foot. He's just a former <laughs> child star. That's like, that's really all I have for JTT. There's not too much more about him, um, but I would definitely, I don't need this man to be on social media capitalizing on the 90s nostalgia, but what I would love is I think a really great long vulture interview. I feel like they would Mm -hmm. do a great job, but that's all I want. I don't really want anything else from him. If he's living his life and invested his money well from being a child star and is living off Lion King residuals, good for him. I don't see how he couldn't be living off of Lion King. I mean, if you had Lion King money, wouldn't you be like, yeah, you will never see my face again. I mean, he was a philosophy major in college, Margo. So, yes. (laughs) Yeah, he's obviously living off those residues, baby. Well, you know who did get a very good long form nostalgia piece recently? Our boy, Ryder Strong, which I pulled a lot of this info from. Um, I had a huge crush and I'm sure you can trace back all of the like vaguely, you know, dirt bag with the heart of gold, like Mm -hmm. bad boy crushes that I've had Mm -hmm. to Sean Hunter, aka Ryder Strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A template for a lot of boys that I had unrequited love with from middle school through high school. Look, there's just something embarrassingly hetero about loving a man who pushes his sexy hair back. You know, you're just like, ugh, I'm so embarrassed to be this to be this way. So imagine um, I am, you know, I don't know, 11, 12, maybe even 13. I go to the mall, uh, the Beverly Center, and there is a Delia's ripoff store there called Girlfriends. And one staple of Girlfriends is that they know how to play to their audience, which is like tween girls. So every month they would put up photos of various teen hunks whose birthday it was. And so when I strolled in there in December to get my birthday outfit gift, uh, I squealed very loud when I discovered that Ryder Strong and I share a birthday. We are both December 11th birthdays. Oh my God. Yep. Hunks. They're just like me. (laughs) Okay. So I, you know, first for being in love with him for as long as I have from a distance, respectfully, obviously, um, I shockingly knew very little about him. So this is going to be a very fun ride. So Ryder, and by the way, I have all of their middle names because all of the hunks I talk about have very funny middle names, at least to me personally, especially Adam Brody. I can't wait to tell you what his middle name is. (laughs) It's very funny. Okay. Ryder. King Strong was born in San Francisco to his mother, Lynn Strong, a teacher, and his father, whose real name is King Arthur Strong. He was a firefighter. Oh, swear. (laughs) His parents are also both originally from Pennsylvania. He has Irish and uh, English descent, and he grew up in Sebastopol, where he lived in a house that his family built themselves out of redwood trees. So, like, this is the granola trip we are on. All right. So it's like one step away from commune. 
Yeah, he went to actually kind of like a Montessori school in Sebastopol. I forget what it's called, like Nunsuch or something like that. It's like a famous, like very like, we don't have grades here. And like, we leave when the chimes (laughs) tell us. Like, it's very that. I'm thinking of like maybe school from Arrested Development. (laughs) No, it's literally maybe school. I mean, his brother's name is Shiloh. Ryder and Shiloh go to a school in Sebastopol. Oh, what do you, I, in your brain, yes, in your memory yes. palace, what are you conjuring up in there other I, than that? As a former Montessori school attendee, there were some some names for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he credits a lot of like his creativity to growing up kind of like out in the woods and him and his brother, they would make their own movies, which eventually led to, uh, this is, <laughs> which eventually led to Ryder having a stint as a kid magician at birthday parties. No. <laughs> this sentence gets weirder. And eventually he made his professional acting debut at the age of nine playing Gavaroche in a San Francisco theater production of Les Miserables oh. alongside Larissa Oleinik as young Cosette. Take that in. Just take it all in. Yeah, like San Francisco is really not that big. You know, it's like moments like these where you're like, huh, we're all just two to four degrees of separation. I which, mean, yeah, like the East Bay connections of like, so, you know, obviously, uh, like Jordan Peele grew up in the East Bay. So did um, Chelsea like, Peretti. Leslie Peretti and they're married and then the Lonely Island like there's a lot of it's it's crazy it's crazy yeah I mean he he talks about in the vice piece I didn't include it here but Ryder Strong talks about how he was inspired to write like a short play um based on like he had an epiphany when Michael Jackson died. This I'm doing a terrible job, like <gasps> telling this, but this is wow. this is a very interesting. Like, I can't tell. Like, this is like a very actory. Like, I'm very smart thing, and I understand how you walk down this garden path to like lead you to this point. But he tells this interviewer advice that like he when Michael Jackson died, he always kind of like thought that he would eventually meet Michael Jackson. He's like, and that led me to be like, why did I think that? And and I thought to myself, oh, it's because I could have done it when I was like a boy meets world. Like he was truly like one or two people away from me. I could have done that. And he's like, and then what would have happened if like he wanted me to like come over and hang out? Like would my parents like have let me do that? And he's like, probably. And that's like how we got inspiration for this play. And anyway, I just found that to be like a very interesting little tidbit that didn't make it in my notes because I thought it was kind of odd but I'm saying it anyway now because it clearly stuck with me (laughs) so after his turn in Les Miserables his mom took Ryder and Shiloh down to Los Angeles where they both landed a handful of minor television roles he was eventually cast on Boy Meets World at 13 as the story goes he was the first actor to read for the part of Sean Hunter and showrunner Michael Jacobs cast him on the spot Quote, there, were def- there was definitely a period where I thought I was way cooler than Boy Meets World, Ryder says. I thought I could be doing a lot better thing. So the writers just threw whatever drama they could at me. It ended up making the show seem a little bit schizophrenic. You're watching these goofy, goofy Eric Matthews B plot. And then you cut to me and it's like my dad's dying and I'm bawling and it's so intense. But I think that's one of the reasons why the show, the show has endured the way that it has. So that's why we had like a lot of interesting episodes throughout Boy Meets World's run that was like maybe I wouldn't say like 
TV special of the week, but because I, I never felt like it talked down to kids. But that's why we had episodes where Sean went undercover as a female student to expose sexual harassment. His dad died. His beloved teacher that he lived with got into a near fatal motorcycle yes. accident. He joined a cult. He he had underage drinking. He was reunited. This was the, this was the episode that fucked me all the way up. He reunited with what he thought was his estranged mom, but it turned out to not really be his mom. It, it was, was messy. His, yeah. No one else had to go through these dramatic plots like everyone else. Like you said, the Eric Matthews B plot. And Corey, sure, there were serious things with him and Tabanga, but like nowhere near what like Sean was dealing with some real shit. Was dealing with like adult type themes where like, you know, Corey and Topanga, it's like first love. How do you make a relationship? It wasn't really kind of like to the degree. I mean, except the the episode arcs where was it Corey that cheated or was it Topanga that cheated? I think it might have been cheated on that ski trip. <laughs> Remember? Well, and then there was the episode where like Fred, well, I don't want to get into the Fred Savage episode because that is whoo, no. not touching that this week. No, uh-uh. nope. N-O, nope, no. <laughs> so anyway, uh, these like kind of these deeper topics not only would go on to solidify writer Strong as like a certified hunk, a little TV heartthrob because he was like, troubled and brooding but like didn't nobody could see his sensitive side and he had been through a lot and that was not only just for his character but it was also to just keep writer strong interested in the part because he really thought that he was kind of above it he quote wanted to be a poet and academic writer and i was told no everybody just wants you to be the guy who loves being on tv and runs his hands through his hair in a certain way and i hated that so he super resented his teen heartthrob status, especially after a ill-fated fan cruise um, where people just had a lot of expectations of him. And he had just broken up with his girlfriend and he was like very emotional and was just like, I don't want to be this guy. So after that, he started to gravitate towards people who had no idea who he was. So he was 16. And so he figured anybody that was over 18 wasn't really watching Boy Meets World. So he was always hanging out with like an older crowd, but he was a very you know mature for his age type, which I know has a lot of connotation nowadays, but that's truly how he felt about himself because at 16 he was like living on his own and functioning as an adult like had his own apartment and he didn't drink or do drugs and every woman that he dated was over 20 which i thought was very interesting to say Mm. and he had a lot of friends that were all older and he would go out in disguise because he just did not want to be recognized he didn't want to deal with it by the time boy meets world's final episode aired in may of 2000 he had completed a year's worth of college credits by taking classes at occidental college Soon, as production wrapped, he moved to New York with his then-girlfriend, who was a former Boy Meets World PA, and enrolled in Columbia the same year as Anna Paquin, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Julia Stiles. So their their stardom completely overshadowed his, so he was able to, like, slip under the radar as just some, like, TV guy, and nobody really paid attention to him, which is sort of like what we've heard actors and celebrities in general say about living in New York is that people, like, really don't fucking care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's where, like, you know, that we were talking about Harvard earlier with like JTT and Natalie Portman. Like, I'm sure they had to go through a lot more because Boston is like not a, you know, acting town or whatever. Like New York <laughs> yeah. is very much you'll see celebrities everywhere. Yeah. And while living in New York, he maintained a really boring life. He took a semester off to be in Eli Roth's Cabin Fever, which he was great in. love that movie. And then he took another semester off when he starred in the pouring stage production of The Graduate opposite Jerry Hall. But other than that, he mostly just went to school and then eventually graduated magna cum laude in 2004 and then went on to get his MFA in fiction and literature at Bennington College. Post-academia, 
He reluctantly moved back to L.A. where he started narrating audiobooks, did voiceover work, shout out to Kim Possible, and wrote and directed some short films with his brother. In 2006, he returned to TV as the series regular on the show Pepper Dennis on the WB, where he met his future wife. The show was short-lived and was not chosen as one of the transferring shows of the CW when they got absorbed. That same year, Strong read the audio version of Anthony Kiedis' biography Scar Tissue and had a brief cameo in Cabin Fever 2. In late 2012, Strong initially declined an offer, though, to reprise his role as Sean Hunter in the spinoff Girl Meets, Girl Meets World. He eventually was convinced, though, uh, by giving into what he has called a quote-unquote trade-off. Because he assumed that if he played Sean Hunter again, that's all he could ever be, and since what he really wants to do is direct, show creator Michael Jacobs agreed, agreed to have him direct a number of episodes if he agreed to star as Sean Hunter for at least eight. In the end, he directed 18 total episodes, and now Ryder Strong has a son, he has a book club podcast, and he's working on a feature with his brother. And I highly recommend his, if you're very curious about what happened to Ryder Strong, which, you know, nothing, the answer is he nothing happened. He has continued to work steadily his whole life, and he is doing just fine. And he seems very well adjusted, which I have to say, I think a very interesting theme between all three of the guys that I'm specifically talking about, at least they all are very like normal grounded dudes who nothing ever quote unquote happened to them. They've always been steadily acting, but it's because they like have a life outside of the industry that you just don't kind of see them around the way that you do other people. But I highly recommend the Vice uh, article by Ashley Spencer called What Happened to Writers Strong. You can find out more about more in depth what he's up to. But that is that is our boy. That is my birthday twin. Love that. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think it's really interesting when people are really good about like you said like uh, this this article. I can't wait to read it myself. Like it just sounds like he's really willing to talk about stuff and like is you know gives you details of what was going on between those years and stuff. It's it's nice because I feel like with um, all of the people I'm talking about today. Well, that's not true. Um, I feel like there's like a level where they don't talk about too much detail. Like I think Ben McKenzie is still very much around and like James Vanderbeek. I mean, he's just everywhere and has a very strong Instagram following, but it's nice to hear like Ryder Strong had a really kind of interesting life of just wanting to kind of live some normalcy after having had, you know, been thrust into the spotlight at such a young age. So good for him. Um, I am going to go into James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Oh, should we put in the sound drop here? I don't want to wait. Oh, my God. Because oh we are God. entering Dawson's Creek territory now. We we're are rowing up, we're rowing up, up to the, the creek. little <laughs> rowboat up the creek. All right. So, give me your best cry face because you're about to talk about James Hunter <laughs> Beek. Um, so I'm going to talk about James William Vanderbeek, who was born <laughs> March 8th, 1977. He's a Pisces like me in Cheshire, New Haven County, Connecticut. And his mother was a former dancer and gymnastics teacher. And his dad was a cell phone company executive and former professional baseball pitch pitcher. So he grew up doing pretty well. His guess what his last name translates to in Dutch. Is the answer Dick? From the creek. Oh, that's funny. Mine was bad, <laughs> but that's fine. He got to start acting in school plays and eventually convinced his mom to help him get an agent. He was subsequently cast in a few off-Broadway plays as a teenager um, and a few Broadway plays, including like an Edward Albee play, which is insane. 
Um, he would make his feature film debut in 17 in 1995, playing this bully who's a jock in the movie Angus, which I really love. Um, and I think that co-starred, I don't remember who the main person is who plays uh, Angus, but the girl, the, the, the girl, the love interest is played by the little girl from Jurassic Park. At that point, she was like a teenager. But anyway, he was also in the Claire Danes film, I Love You, I Love You Not in 1996, where he played one of Jude Law's friends. And I'm now remembering in this movie, because I saw it years ago, we're supposed to believe that a then 23-year-old Jude Law is a high school student dating 16-year-old Claire Danes, which (laughs) oof, 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 oof. I mean, Uh, of course. Of course. He attended Drew University on an academic scholarship where he participated in an all-male acapella group called 36 Madison Avenue. And you know how much I love a celebrity who once sang in a college acapella group. I could do a whole episode about them. I Googled his name and the acapella group just to see if there were any old videos. And it turns out the acapella group bought a cameo from him a few years ago where he was donating the money to charity. He was doing like matching donations. And of course I watched the whole thing and he talked about how in the nineties they had to wear matching vests when they sang, which checks out. Um, he would go on to drop out of Drew university though, because he was cast in one of the three TV pilots that he would audition for in 1997. At the time, the WB was a relatively new network that had launched in 1995 and was not doing well. They basically decided to turn their programming towards more teen-centric stuff once Buffy became a big hit, and Vanderbeek would win the title role of Dawson Leary for the show Dawson's Creek, which was created by Kevin Williamson, which we've talked about many times on the podcast. Um, the show's 1998 debut was a success that made all of the ma- the cast major stars. And in 1999, he would go on to star in Varsity Blues, which held the number one spot at the box office in the U.S. for the first two weeks. And he would go on to win an MTV Movie Award for his role. And more importantly, lives in infamy with a quote that I will never forget. I don't want your laugh. Which <laughs> I think I gave Vanderbeek a run for his money on that Southern accent. It was, it was like he was in the room with us. <laughs> Around this time, he selected as one of People's Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People in the World and appeared in several other films, and that'll include Scary Movie in 2000, where he played Dawson, Texas Rangers in 2001 with Ashton Kutcher, Dylan McDermott, and Alfred Molina, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, where he and Jason Biggs play themselves playing Jay and Silent Bob. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2002, he'll play Sean Bateman, who was the younger brother of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, in the movie version of the adaptation of Brett Easton Ellis's The Rules of Attraction, which was directed and written by Roger Avery. And after Dawson's Creek will end in 2003, he was a guest star on what feels like every network TV show at the time. He guest starred on Criminal Minds, Ugly Betty, How I Met Your Mother, One Tree Hill, and Medium. And he was also in the direct-to-DVD horror film The Plague, which have you seen The Plague? I have never seen The Plague. But no. You, okay. I want to I see this. It looks bad. Um, it sounds bad. <laughs> he had some additional film and TV credits that I've pulled and I've pulled the most notable for the last decade or so. Um, so in 2011, he, pay, he played Kesha's nemesis in her music video for Blow. And later that year, played a fictionalized version of, a, version of himself in Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, Justice for the Show that was canceled after two seasons. It was gone goddamn, too soon. Gone, gone too, too soon. soon. It was a goddamn treat. And it and several other ABC comedies at that time deserve better than to get the axe. Like that was a crushing couple of seasons over at ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I really enjoyed him in that role. I thought he was it very was the funny. He, uh, he's ever been, I think. Playing other himself. than his uh, role in Rules of Attraction. I think oh, yes. Other than, other than that, this is like the funniest he's ever been. In 2015, he began playing senior field agent Elijah Mundo on CSI Cyber. And in oh. 2017, was on the British comedy series Carter's Get Rich. As a writer, he has co-created, wrote, and produced, starred in What Would Diplo Do, where he played Diplo oh, no. oh, on no. Iceland, which I remember the, all the hype around this, but it was short-lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, then he was sounds vaguely familiar. He was also in Pose, which I forgot in the first season. He plays, um, he plays Matt Bromley, and he's basically – the boss of the Evan oh, Peters Evan character. Peters boss? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very good in that as well, I might add. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays douche very well. <laughs> yeah, he's good at it. <laughs> he joined the 28th season of Dancing with the Stars and was really good. In fact, he plays pretty much at the top every week, but was eliminated in the semifinals, finishing in fifth place. And he revealed that night that that night that his wife had just suffered a miscarriage, uh, 48 48- hours prior to that evening. Um, He hasn't done much TV movie-wise since 2020. He's probably most famous now for for what he talks about on Instagram and more notably what his wife talks about on Instagram. So in case you didn't know, his wife, Kimberly Vanderbeek, is a staunch anti-vaxxer and supports a lot of conspiracy theories, including blaming the vaccine uh, vaccines on DMX's death, among other things. Um, they all, the family relocated to Texas a couple of years ago. So they live on a compound basically now, which is kind of weird. And, uh, they have six children now. Um, the, and between the fifth and sixth one, I believe they suffered like several miscarriages, which like miscarriages are no joke, very sad things. But like the, the kids are all like clearly unvaccinated and she is like, 
I mean, really what what I feel like he's most notable for now is more for like the association now that he's, you know, he and his wife support these various like theories. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty messy. The thing is, like, James Vanderveek, you know, all around up until very recently seemed like kind of a stand up guy. But it seems like the last couple of years, he and his wife have supported a lot of shit that just shouldn't be supported. And that is what I have to say about that. It just, uh, he took a turn, you know, just like um, yes. Robert Kennedy. You were like, wow, I like literally never thought about you. And now I have to think about you as kind of like a weirdo. And um, oh, yeah, I wish you just don't. Please right. stop. Yes. Well, into some, the the lighter side of the crick, uh, the non-Dawson side, the Pacey side, who has, Joshua Jackson has just kind of remained steadily hot and steadily employed and so there's really like not a ton to get into here but my personal anecdote with joshua jackson is that love makes you do crazy things like watching apt people at too young of an age because your man joshua jackson is in it (laughs) i remember not understanding that movie and being like like disturbed by it but i got to see josh jackson without his top on so like i guess i won i don't know i did not like it i did not have a good movie going experience (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but joshua carter which is not like funny but it's like kind of like a serious middle name but i you know i the rule of threes carter jackson was born in vancouver june 11th 1978 and he lived in california until the age of eight when his parents divorced and he moved back to vancouver with his mom and younger sister he didn't really have the easiest time in school he was kicked out of two different high schools one of them kicked him out because he kept coming to school consistently late because he'd stay up too late the night before watching the john stewart show Jackson started acting in a small role, though, in Crooked Hearts in 1991. And after that, he landed the role of Charlie in The Mighty Mm. Ducks. Love it. He'd go on to play Pacey Whittier in Dawson's Creek, which was created by Kevin Williamson and ran on the WB from 1998 to 2003. And also starred James Vanderbeek, Michelle Williams, and Katie Holmes. He was 19, playing a 15-year-old when he was first (laughs) cast. I mean, that's Dawson. To be fair, that's also James Vanderbeek. Like, I think they are a year apart. Like, Vanderbeek was born in 77. Yeah, it's just like, that's why we all had such skewed ideas of what you have to look like in high school. Because we're like, because a 19-year-old was, (laughs) 22-year-olds were all playing these people. Exactly. When the show ended, he was 24. While on the show, he dated Katie Holmes, dyed his hair blonde in protest of the WB's rule that you can't change your look between filming, which, by the way, is a rule across all studios. But that's also (laughs) the reason why he's bleach blonde in Cruel Intentions. That makes sense. (laughs) Speaking of, he upped his heartthrob status while on Dawson's Creek by not only being the brooding, sarcastic Pacey, but he also had a very busy movie career around this time. He was in Urban Legends, Skulls, Gossip. See, I watched all these movies, and I got to tell you, they're all not good. Like, they're all... Mm. Mm. degrees like i think i watched skulls twice because i fell asleep the first time anyway he also had a cameo in oceans 11 as well as a guest appearance in the simpsons as lisa's hunky environmentalist love interest which i remember that episode very clearly but before he wrapped up being pacey in 2002 he was arrested um at a carolina hurricanes hockey game in north in raleigh north carolina after he got into a fight with a security guard and he was charged with assault a fray public intoxication and disruption he blew uh, a 0.14 blood alcohol <laughs> level and prosecutors though agreed to dismiss the assault charges and he agreed to take alcohol education program and had some community service and all charges were dropped 
He's a big Canucks fan because he's from Vancouver. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. He talked about it, but I just I had totally <laughs> forgotten because uh, I found in like the Wayback Machine the smoking gun article where they had oh, like right. his mugshot, and I forgot his mugshot. I'm like, he looks hot all the time. Like I don't care that he has a mugshot. Whatever. <laughs> After Dawson's Creek ended in 2003, he played the lead role in several films alongside Dennis Hopper, Harvey Keitel, and Donald Sutherland. And in 2005, he moved to the UK to make his stage debut on the London West Elm with Patrick Stewart in a David Mamet two-man play called A Life in the Theater. The play was a critical and popular success. He'd be in a few more movies after this before he'd sign up for another long-running series, Fringe. And, I mean, he's still very active. Like, he's in everything. It was, like I said, really hard to find anything where he's, like, looking back other than kind of a little bit this Guardian article where he's mostly just talking about Dr. Death and he's famously married to Jodie Turner-Smith and they're a very gorgeous couple and they mm. had a very hot J. Crew of all things campaign and they oh my God. an adorable child together. And so that's sort of, like the bulk of what his interviews are about now. And even before Dr. Death, he was on Little Files, Little Fires Everywhere. And you can see him getting it on a lot in the affair if you can like kind of stomach how stupid that show turns into eventually. And in tw- and as recently as this year, uh, it was announced that Joshua Jackson was set as the lead in the Paramount Plus series Fatal Attraction with Lizzie Kaplan playing the Glenn Close character. Oh, I think I would tune into that. I think hmm. I'm definitely going to watch that. I can't watch Dr. Death because anything with, like, surgery no. and doctors and murder, I'm like, that's a no from me, dog. Like, I can't. But uh, I could watch this. And I, I never got around to watching Little Fire- Fires Everywhere. But last I didn't fun either. Mm. about Joshua Jackson. He has never been in a comedy of any genre. Not a rom-com, not a rom-drum, nothing. Yes, oh. according to his interview in The Guardian, which I will, if you... I will link the Guardian interview and the Vice interview in the show notes as well. Um, he goes on to talk about this is the most fun tidbit uh, in the Guardian interview. He talks about how he surprised Reese, Reese Witherspoon and Ava DuVernay, who before Little Fires he was in when they see us as well. They were both really surprised at how funny he was off camera, which I'm just like, yeah, dude, get your get yourself in a fucking comedy. Like, what are we? Yeah, what are we talking he about? He was great comic relief on Dawson's Creek, and uh, he had to play kind of the straight man in the Mighty Ducks movies. But like, mm-hmm. he is a very funny guy. Like, he did a great funnier die a few years ago at Comic Con where he pretended it was Pacey Con, and he like uh, there was a very funny video where he basically thought the crowds at Comic Con were for his Pacey Con, and he <laughs> talked about being oh, on Fringe. He's like my, you know, I'm on Fringe just to fuel, you know, my my number one passion, which is you know, Pacey fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, I really think he has a great sense of humor and does not take himself that seriously. I mean, he talks a lot about it in the Guardian article about how, you know, not living in LA full time ever at any point in time and going back to Vancouver where people were like, yeah, it's great that you like make a lot of money as an actor, but like, don't be a piece of shit. Like he's, you know, held more accountable in his l- Canadian life as well. And I just think that he's very funny and I don't get I, I never really thought about it, but he's always been in dramas like this his, a ma- vast majority of his career. I mean, it's not like he's out here like hosting SNL or something. No. Which he should or could. He could. We should change that. I know. Petition to get our boy on SNL. Um, here's someone else who's never really in comedies, but I don't know if he's really a funny guy. 
Okay, I don't think that I do not think that uh, Joshua Jackson and Ryan McKenzie are on the same level, other than they are both t- former TV heartthrobs. You called him Ryan McKenzie. He's bad. Shit, and I think that's not even the first time I've done that this episode. No, but, but that's he- that's my brain coming up from 2003, poking its little head up, being like, "Hi, remember me?" I, uh, yeah. in I, love with Ryan and and uh, Seth Cohen, but at least I, I remember mean, Adam Brody's name. Uh, but the, exactly, and it is very interesting um, how yeah he is so associated with that character that it is very easy to call him Ryan McKenzie. But uh, Ben McKenzie, because we're not going to get into our OC. What'd you call it? <laughs> Welcome to the OC. Welcome bitches. to the OC, bitch. <laughs> Oh, God. Fun fact, the guy who says that line, um, Marissa's boyfriend from the first like season, he mm-hmm. went to high school with one of the nuns at my high school, and they were friends. <laughs> what an interesting degree of separation. Because that guy played like asshole number one for like 10 years after that. He, he played like asshole number one, number two, and then like daddy of asshole. <laughs> Daddy of asshole kid. <laughs> so true. Good times. Um, so Ben McKenzie, whose real name is Benjamin McKenzie Schenken, was born oh. sub- September 12, 1978, also a Virgo, um, like JTT, in Austin, Texas, to Francis Victory Schenken, a poet, and Peter Mead Schenken, an attorney. His stage last name, McKenzie, is actually his middle name, which was his paternal grandmother's maiden name. And he uses the middle name because he wants to avoid confusion with actor Ben Shankman. He also attended a private school called St. Andrew's Episcopal School, where he was friends and flag football teammates with Drew Brees. And then (laughs) later um, graduated from Stephen F. Austin High School, where he played wide receiver and defensive back for the school's football team. He graduated in 2001 from University of Virginia, where he majored in foreign affairs and economics, which will come up later. And I do remember when I was applying to colleges in Virginia in the mid-2000s, his face was heavily featured on the UVA brochures because that was like peak OC when I was applying to college. Hmm. After he graduated, Mackenzie moved to New York City, where he worked part-time jobs and performed in some off-off-Broadway productions. He would later move to L.A., where he waited tables and slept on the floor of his friend, Ernie Sabella, actor Ernie Sabella's apartment. I was like, wait, Ernie Sabella, that name sounds so familiar. He's this big-time character and Broadway actor. And to bring it back to The Lion King, he was the voice of Pumbaa. Fun fact. Hmm. Um. Around 2425, he gets his start very relatively quick. He gets cast as Ryan Atwood um, in his mid-20s on in the OC, which would premiere on August 5th, 2003 on Fox. The show was huge, and like Dawson's Creek, there are a lot of parallels with these two shows. Um, the four main actors became huge stars as a result of it. He would go on to be nominated for Choice Breakout TV Star Male and Choice TV Chemistry at the Teen Choice Awards and then won Choice TV Actor Drama Slash Action Adventure and Choice TV Actor Drama. And one can only hope Ben still has those surfboards in his home. He <laughs> reportedly earned between about 15000 and 25000 per episode throughout the show's run, which seems kind of low, especially with the later seasons. But I will say there were like 20-something episodes a season, so that's not too bad, I guess. 
Um, but the show would obviously drop in ratings dramatically in its third and fourth seasons because in season three, they decided to kill off Marissa, which was a bad decision. And Margo, in my notes, I have, this is where you get to tell your Misha Barton story to our newer listeners. Oh, I was going to say, I'm like, douche. I wasn't sure if I was going to have to tell this story again, just because I feel like I've told it a couple of times, but in like my first year of community college, I worked at a very popular flower shop in Brentwood and an agent's assistant called at the flower shop and I happened to be the one that answered and I had had the finale of OCT vote, but I hadn't watched it yet. And over the phone, they dictate to you what they want on the card or whatever. And this agent assistant basically spoils the fact that like Marissa dies. He's like, oh, sorry about your TV death. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, oh, do you like the OC? I was like, I'm sorry. And he was like, he apologized. He felt really bad, but it was truly the funniest way to have a a major show plot point spoiled for you. If we are ever cast as pop culture talking heads on a VH1 revival of I Love the 2000s, please bring us on VH1. And yes, I will be telling that story (laughs) once again. Of course. Um, While on the OC, he'll make his film debut in Junebug alongside Amy Adams and M. Beth Davids. And uh, he, you'll appreciate this. He was originally going to be in Snakes on a Plane, then (gasps) known as Pacific Air one to one, but later dropped out to film <laughs> 88 minutes with Al Pacino. Show me your hands, Ben. <laughs> I, I totally forgot he was in that. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like one of the bad boys. He's like one of the um one of the murder suspects or the murderer suspects. That's really? So <laughs> wow. I don't know which decision's worse, like being like being in 88 minutes or being on Snakes on a Plane. Unclear. Both have been bad movie night movies. So he, but I would say 88 minutes is an excellent movie. <laughs> Mackenzie, I mean, like after this, though, he's not a big movie guy. Like he does movies here and there, mm-hmm. but he's usually indie or he's like a part of an ensemble cast. Um, But he's done really well for himself on the TV front. Like he's had a consistent career. So he started, you know, he started on Southland, which uh, premiered in 2009. And it was canceled after while in the midst of its second season. Um, But then like it was in production and then TNT bought the rights for the show, aired the remaining episodes, and then it got back like it was it was brought back and then canceled after its fifth season. And then, of course, he was in the Batman prequel show on Fox called Gotham where he played uh, commissioner Gordon when he was just a detective. And uh, this is where he'll meet his now wife, Marina Baccarin. Um, You may remember that my sleuthing around in trying to find out which Juilliard student was the inspiration for Vanessa Carlton's a thousand miles. Marina Baccarin is in fact on that short list. Making (laughs) another appearance on the pod. But I got to say, you know, the long lasting impression of the OC got me to watch the first season of Gotham, a show that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise. He he plays quiet, reserved, but but good hearted individual. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like um, you would assume he's from Boston, even though he's not. He is very much not. Um, he got to direct and write a few episodes of the show. And he's really kind of continued to do more on the theater side uh, since Gotham stopped airing in 2019. In fact, he was a part of a ensemble cast that's like star-studded 
that presented the investigation, A Search for Truth in 10 Acts, which is a dramatic reading of special counsel Robert Mueller's report on the investigation into the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. He played Michael Flynn and Donald Trump Jr. We have now mentioned this man (laughs) twice this season. I don't like it. Uh, But this cast... (laughs) This cast is <laughs> no one likes it, Emily. I don't John, even think he likes it. John Glithgow was Trump. Kevin Klein was Robert Mueller. Like Jason Alexander was Chris Christie. Oh God! I mean, this is just like one after. I like. I need to show you this list afterwards. I'm not going to go over all of them, but incredible stuff. Um, but he went on to make his Broadway debut because he had been in off Broadway stuff before in 2020, and was in a production of Grand Horizons, and then of now since kind of acting has died down for him, he's not doing TV and he's not doing theater. He has kind of found a second act for himself as an expert on cryptocurrency and is currently writing a book uh, with the New Republic journalist, Jacob Silverman. Um, It's going to be called Easy Money and it's published. It's going to be published in 2023. I read this fascinating New York Times article all about his, you know, quest to show people why we should not be listening to celebrities or anyone really about cryptocurrency. And he's very funny on Twitter about it. He said, like recently, he said, I'm just a former teen idol standing here alone asking people to consider downside risk and the possibility of fraud. I hope I'm wrong, but pretty sure we'll find out soon enough. Good luck, folks. Don't take financial advice from celebs, including me. And I got to say, good for you, Ben McKenzie. Well, guess who's not going on the Fallon show to promote his book? (laughs) Certainly not. Since Fallon is like, he's the, Ben McKenzie is the reason why I know that Fallon has like a a monetary interest in promoting that. I would have never known that. Likewise. and, uh, And Reese Witherspoon and like a couple of other people that I'm like, what? Like, it's not just Kardashians who get, no. you know, I don't I don't enjoy defending them, but like they get scapegoated for a lot of stuff. It's like it's not just at least they're upfront about it. So I found it to be he's very interesting as um, most of these actors are as they get kind of like away from their teen idol persona and become the people that they're always meant to be. But I mean, I would also say that all three of the dudes that we were talking about are all politically active. They've all mm-hmm. all shot spots for Democratic parties or have active. Like I know that Joshua Jackson's like very has like marched and like done a bunch of other stuff. And yeah. anyway, so it should be mentioned that all of them have, you know, given back in some significant ways. And I love that they don't mind leveraging the fact that they were teen heartthrobs in order to advance a more meaningful message. I agree. I totally agree. So for our final TV heartthrob, we're going to talk about Adam Brody. But before we do, my last anecdote. Life has a way of humbling you when you need it the least. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I gave my husband a bunch of shit because he practically saluted an assistant coach for the Warriors. And later over (laughs) dinner, I tried to flex by saying like, I'm like from L.A., not to brag. So like, I don't get starstruck. To which he said, "Uh, uh, uh, do you remember that time you saw Adam Brody and DJ AM at Cantor's and lost (laughs) your mind? And I was like, hmm. I don't know, but I fully do. We were at a we were at Cantor's me, Sean and Marianne, and Ben Brody was definitely at the table, like across the way. We could like Marianne, I couldn't even like bring ourselves to look at him. So Sean went over to Adam's Adam Brody's table and got Adam Brody like waved to me and Marianne and we like we simply melted. We were just like Oh my <gasps> god. Fucking freaking out. So like, do you want to come talk to us? I was like, no, I can't, no, I don't want to. This- 
I look, I would have done the same thing because I was so obsessed with Seth Cohen and in mm-hmm. an ironic twist, in a bittersweet twist, uh, like can't believe I'm admitting this, but like I ended up losing my virginity to a big comic book nerd and definitely not very not cute in comparison uh, to Seth Cohen. But like in some ways, I feel like it's really the ultimate full circle moment. Yeah, he like lent a lot of credibility to subpar men in like the early aughts (laughs) we can just put it that way so adam jared brody (laughs) i'm sorry the jared i was like these men are giving it to me in the middle name department and i love it it's just jared i don't know whatever i don't want to put this like high school friend on blast but he has like three first names and it always blew my mind and it still does to this day i can never just say his first name i have to say all three of his names anyway my boy adam jared brody was born december 15th 1979 so another sagittarius 40 year old hunk and he was born in san diego california and raised jewish wiki notes that he celebrated his bar mitzvah and hanukkah He went to middle school and high school in San Diego, but received poor grades because he spent a majority of his time surfing. He attended one year of community college before he dropped out at 19 and moved to Hollywood and became an actor. He hired an acting coach and eventually found a talent manager that led to his first role as your favorite imaginary boyfriend on Gilmore Girls as Dave Rye Gillespie, Lane's Mm -hmm. bandmate and love interest. Which I did not mention this here. I didn't write it down, but I I cannot stop thinking about it. In an interview with AV Club, he talks about his time on Gilmore Girls and said that it was the only set he's ever been on where there are two script supervisors, one for continuity and one to make sure that you say everything word perfect. Those and that Paladinos. Mm-hmm. And that's and the second. The second script soup comes up to you, make sure that you're that make sure that you say everything word perfect. We'll also make you redo a take because you missed a pause or or whatever, like minor thing. And he says, like they, in the moment, he was like, it was insane and I hated it. But looking back, it was like some of the best dialogue I've ever gotten to say. But it's like, at what cost though? I mean, Sorkin walked so the Sherman Paladinos could run in terms Does of Sorkin like, even the style. like that. I don't know if Sorkin has two script soups. Do no, you think maybe so? not. Maybe not to that extent. But like the 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 fast paced talking, conversational, sure. blink and you miss it reference. I mean, like I feel like Sorkin was the first to really do it, and then the Sherman pa- like Amy Sherman Paladino just like took it to a whole other level. I mean, there are references where like I found a TikTok account that just is devoted to. De, like decomposing um, like all of the references that they make on Gilmore Girls because they're so crazy and obscure. I believe it. Oh, well, anyway, in 2003, though, he had quite the year. He appeared in the movie Grind, which to me just has like, I, I never watched it, but I know it's like about skaters, but it was like that movie that you would see at Blockbuster all the time that no one ever rented, but you were only very familiar with the cover. And it was like, it sort yes. of looked like, um, what's that Tom Green movie, Road Trip? It had yes. like a similar look to it, yes. but it was like a white background instead of like a blue one or whatever. Anyway, he was in that movie. He was in the music video for the Donna's Too Bad About Your Girl. 
And he was then cast in his breakout role as Seth Cohen on the teen drama The O.C. The role obviously turned him into a teen heartthrob, a teen idol, whatever you want to call him, with the character having been described by the LA Times as TV's sexiest geek and by Time as having, quote, redefined the screen persona of unapologetic nerdiness. Thank you so much, Time. Brody was also the first male to cover L Girl, R.I.P. L Girl, <laughs> when I think we mentioned <laughs> that in our one of our magazine episodes. And in 2005, Brody appeared in a supporting role in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and he played a Hollywood studio assistant in the film adaptation of Thank You for Smoking. And he was so in demand at this time that his next role in the movie In the Land of Women pushed filming back eight months so that because of his scheduling conflict with the OC so he could be a part of the movie. The OC ended its run in 2007 after four seasons. Brody said that he was not unhappy with the show's cancellation and that although he was fortunate to be on this successful series, he was glad to also not be on it for 10 years. After the OC's run, he pivoted to a full-time film career and pretty much has stayed there. The same year that the OC ended, he appeared in supporting roles in the movie's Smiley Face, great movie, The Ten, in 2009, he starred in Death and Love and in Diablo Cody's Jennifer's Body. In 2010, he was in Cop Out and then The Romantics. And then it was later announced that he was going to be in Scream 4 as Detective Haas in 2011. He also was a voice on an MTV animated series, Good Vibes. And also later that year, he appeared in the movie The Oranges, where he would meet his future wife, Leighton Meester. In January of 2012, it was announced that he was going to join the cast of the movie Lovelace. And he would later go on to be in Some Girls, which premiered at South by Southwest and had like a lot of ton of had a ton of buzz. And then the following year was in Life Partners and in Sleeping with Other People. Aside from acting, though, he is a credited musician and writer and says that he has always worked on his own screenplays and songs in his spare time. In 2003, he produced a short film called Home Security. In 2005, he formed a band called Big Japan with his friends Nathaniel Castro, Brett Harrison and Brad Babinski. And he was the lead drummer, which is like another big selling point on how hot Adam Brody is. Big Japan's first music release, Music for Dummies, was digitally released through Night Shift Records, August of 2005. They were a little four-piece indie band that just basically played clubs and festivals from 2005-2007. They played like The Knitting Factory, The Roxy, Spaceland, Viper Room. In 2007, he, along with Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, co-wrote a comic book miniseries for DC's Wildstorm Comics called Red Menace. It was a limited series that had six issues and was collected into a trade paperback. What? Quick question. Is Danny Bilson as in father of Rachel Bilson? Because he's like a famous cinematographer, right? Um, Let's see. I don't know. Yep. That is. He co-wrote a comic book with his ex-girlfriend's dad. Wow. I mean, that's great that y'all can be on good terms. For sure. (laughs) Right, because like, you know, like Joshua Jackson, Adam Brody dated Rachel Bilson for most of the time that they were on the OC. Anyway, so he also wrote a comic book with her dad that was turned into a trade paperback. And since then, I don't think he's had any other comic books come out, but he has played drums in He's played he's played guest drums for different projects and has also been featured in the sitcom Ben and Kate, but not only in a reoccurring capacity and was also in the excellent film The Meddler. And that was his girlfriend at the Times movie, Lorena Scarafea. Scarafea? Yeah, I think you got that right. Yep. And that's I mean, and that's about it. He's still doing stuff. He's got an Instagram. He's out there. 
He's busy. He's booked. He loves. To- he doesn't mind talking about being Seth Cohen as well. He's also very funny. Oh yeah, he was in um, Promising Young Woman as well. In oh, a very terrifying role. Yes, yes. And Love a funny when- twist. So is Bo Burnham, who is now right. Lorraine. Scarlett. Oh right. Yeah, everybody wow. seems to be cool. Everyone's cool. He's like cool with his exes. No, I love that. They like I think yeah. Rachel Bilson posted a photo with him because they ran into each other in an right airport. At the airport, and I was like, yeah. I still believe. I still <laughs> even believe. though I love Leighton Meester too, Me Gossip too. Girl. But like, uh, I still believe. I think we sent that to each other. I think we did, and then I still remember Katie Weaver when she still wrote for Jezebel the wedding announcement of like Blair Cornelia Waldorf marries Seth Ezekiel Cohen will go down as one of my favorite Jezebel posts of all time. Back when Jezebel was really hitting. <laughs> well, we have talked about hunks for quite some time. And I think it's time to close our copy of Tiger Beat mm-hmm. and uh, head home because I can hear our mom saying that dinner is ready and stop talking about boys and read a book. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, a great way to support us. Uh, financially is to join our Patreon, join the Old Millennials Cinematic Universe for $5 a month. You can find that at Old Millennials Pod on Patreon, and that's obviously linked in the show notes. Or you can support support us emotionally by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And also, if you do not follow us on social media, you, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can follow Emily and I individually on Twitter. I am at Mark She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Bijan. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.